Thank you so much. Hello again. (laughs) If uh, you are a child or you enjoy colouring to listen, uh, there are some colouring in sheets at the back of the room. There'll be no judgement to anybody who likes to do things while they listen. Um, Just to recap, recap our story so far because you'll have noticed that we've kind of missed quite a bit of uh, the story of Joseph. So let me do a quick little recap. We know that Joseph was treated badly. He's ended up uh, the... But but God has used all of his situation to be the Prime Minister in Egypt. And he is in this place of providing food for the whole region. And because of that, in time of great famine, after two years, Jacob, uh, who was suffering with his family because of the famine, he brings the whole family to Egypt. So we're talking all the kids, all the animals, all the stuff to Egypt. Who's moved a lot? Who's moved more than 10 times? That's a lot. Oh, not many. Okay. Okay. How, how many times have you moved, Andrew? Ten. Okay. Okay. All right. I've moved a lot. I've moved like 25 times. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm like thinking of all the work that was involved in that move. Um, anywho, that aside. So, they have found refuge from the famine. All the family have been there together. They've been living there for several years And then Jacob, who's quite old at this time, he knows that he's about to die. And he gathers Joseph and his sons. And he says a blessing over the sons, over uh, Joseph's sons. And then he gathers all of the brothers and he blesses each one of them. And then... He dies, but he's made them promise that they would uh, take his body back to where they were. And so they do that and Joseph gets permission to take the body back and they have a long time of mourning over Jacob. And that's where we're going to pick up our story. They're back in Egypt and the brothers are feeling a little bit worried. They're quite concerned. When jo- uh, let me just read from 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Oh, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They were really concerned because these brothers really were at the mercy of Joseph, and you've got to remember that Joseph was a prime minister, so he was really powerful. He could make their lives miserable or even take their lives. He could destroy everything. And from a human perspective, he was certainly in his rights to kind of pay them back. And so the next part of the the next uh, verse says, So they sent word to Joseph. 
So that means actually that they have got a messenger to take this message to Joseph. They're all about self-preservation here. They have sat back and they've gone, okay, who wants to go in? Who wants to go talk to Joseph? And none of them put their hand up to do them. They've actually gone, actually, the smartest thing for us to do right now would be to send somebody else in. Let's do that. And so they've come up with this plan, this plan of, okay, let's, let's come up with a story. Let's say that Dad said that this is what we should be doing. I feel like this story's made up anyway. We don't know 100%, but they certainly knew, they felt, they felt that they couldn't go in and ask for mercy. They actually put all of their hope in their, the voice of their dead father. So isn't, isn't that interesting? They say this, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servant, of the God of your father. So like I say, there's no way to know for sure, but... Wouldn't you think when Jacob had gathered them all together to give them their blessings, wouldn't you think that if he actually was worried about Joseph killing them off or causing them harm, wouldn't you think he would have taken that opportunity to say something? But he doesn't. And I don't think he does because I think he knows Joseph so well. He knows his heart. He knows that he has forgiven them. There is no need for them to, to be afraid, to worry. I think it's also interesting that even as grown men, they have used the influence of their father, the influence of dad, even though he has died. And I know you've probably heard me say this before, but as parents, we have huge influence, just as a side. We have huge influence, even when our children are grown. So it's important to keep that in the back of our mind and make sure that we're using our influence positively. But we see that these brothers here, they are very much mistaken. The whole story was actually quite unnecessary. The next verse says, When their message came to him, Joseph wept. He weeps. But he's not weeping for himself. He's not feeling sorry for himself in any way. It has nothing to do with the bad treatment of him. He isn't feeling sorry for himself. He is weeping for them. Because he knows that they just don't get it. They just don't get God. They don't understand that despite their bad treatment of Joseph, this story isn't about them. And the whole point of Joseph's story is that God was with them all, all the time. God had been with Joseph at every turn and everything that Joseph had gone through, he knew that it was through God. I also believe that he wept because it shows how little the brothers thought of him. Joseph, you really don't love us. Joseph, you actually might hate us. 
Joseph, now that Jacob's gone, maybe you want to kill us. And, you know, you, maybe you didn't really forgive us back then. You just said the words, but it wasn't in your heart. And they're just doubting that. And I think Joseph wept because they are confessing a sin again that has already been forgiven years ago. And so they've gone, whoa, we are in big trouble. We're in big trouble now. I think they're, they're hiding behind like a curtain, seeing how this is all going to play out and go down. And as soon as they see Joseph weeping, they have really started to panic and they rush in. They rush in. It says in verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. So they, they come in and they're just grovelling. They're grovelling to, to Joseph. They're bowing down. But again, this is all out of selfishness. This is all actually because of their guilt, the result of the huge guilt that they had in their lives. Psalm 38.4 says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. A guilty conscience can overwhelm. It can be just such a heavy burden for us to carry. It needs no accuser. A guilty conscience becomes an accuser of its own. And you start filtering everything through the lens of your guilt. And it can cripple you as you start to think that people are treating you in different ways that aligns with the guilt and the shame that you are feeling. And we see here that the brothers are projecting their guilt onto Joseph. Their lens is completely distorted at this time. Between chapters 37 and 50... We've got 40 years, 40 years of carrying that guilt and having that distorted lens, not being free at all because of the guilt that they had carried. It goes on to say in verse 19, but Joseph said, don't be afraid. I Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. We see the true heart of Joseph, don't we? He doesn't completely dismiss their actions, though. He's not saying to them that everything was fine. He still describes what they did as evil. And the brothers themselves freely acknowledge that what they did was evil. He's not standing there going, hey, that's all fine. Don't worry about it. Water under the bridge. It's, it's totally cool. He's not doing that. Joseph is actually being honest with them. And he is saying, when you guys plotted to kill me, that was evil. When you threw me down the pit... That was evil. When you ignored my cries, that was evil. When you laughed at me, when I was being tortured down there in the pit, evil. And then when you sold me into slavery, that was evil. It was all evil. 
And I recognise it was evil and I'm not going to shy away from saying that. And I think that's an important message for us because we need to call out when things are evil, when things shouldn't be done to us and when things that are bad happen, it's not okay. It's good to point that out. But what gave Joseph the ability to speak these powerful words was that he knew God. He knew God's ways. He knew God's purposes. Two things really specifically that he trusted in was the sovereignty of God. So nothing happens by accident. God's in control. And then that God is good. He means for all of us uh, the best On the surface, it looked bad for Joseph going into slavery and being forgotten, abandoned, all those things. But it was actually a process. God was preparing him. He needed that time. He needed that time so that Joseph was able to uh, forgive his brothers and take that burden off his shoulders. It says in Romans 8, and Mickey said this before, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things, the good, the bad, the joyful days, the awful days. It's really interesting. I I did this um, the last time I spoke in this series. But if Joseph's brother never actually sells him to the Midianites, then Joseph never goes to Egypt. And if Joseph never goes to Egypt, well, then he never is sold to Potiphar. And if he's never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife uh, is not able to accuse him of anything and send him to jail. And if he's not sent to jail, he doesn't actually meet with the butler and the baker. And if he doesn't meet with the butler and the baker, he doesn't get to interpret their dreams. And if he doesn't get to interpret their dreams, well, then he doesn't then later on get to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And if he doesn't get to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, he doesn't get to preserve many people alive. Isn't that an amazing journey? And he is standing there with all of that perspective and he can see the goodness of God. There is no bitterness in his heart at all. I think many of us want to pray that God would protect us from hardship. We're tempted to, aren't we? We don't like hard. We would way prefer to avoid the hard things. But it's far better to pray that God will use the hardship that is in our life so that we would be more like Jesus that you would feel God with you in the midst of the hard. So, for example, instead of praying, Lord, please don't let me get that really hard maths teacher this year, which, I don't know, I kind of remember praying that prayer like that. It's way better to pray, Lord, you know what's best for me. Give me whichever teacher will help me to learn the best. And if I get that really hard maths teacher, please let me know that you are sitting right beside me in class. Help me to do my best. Be a good example and and, and to others and to work hard and to also not complain. Wouldn't Wouldn't that be a good prayer for us to be able to do that? 
This story of Joseph communicates something to us about forgiveness that we need to pay attention to. Joseph had been sinned against to almost an unbelievable extent. And I know that some of you have also been sinned against terribly. And in that, we battle with relinquishing the desire for vengeance, the desire to see those who have sinned against us ruined with just plain old simple hatred in our hearts. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It belongs to him. So it's actually not our place to take vengeance on anybody. And even though Joseph had the power to do it, he had the means to do it, and it might even look like he had the inclination, he actually didn't. He says, no, forget all of that. I will not stand in the place of God. I can let it go and I can leave it up to God. It's up to him, not me. God's power to redeem and to restore was even greater than anything else. I'm not going to certainly minimise how bad things happen to us and there's some awful things that have happened to the peop- to people in this room in the past, but that's not the end of the story. Joseph actually proves to us that no matter how bad we've had it, no matter what has happened in our life, no matter how mistreated or abused, It actually doesn't have to affect our future. Had Joseph carried that bitterness with him, God would not have been able to use him. He would not have been able to flourish. The bitterness itself would have held him back. I see something about our relationship with Jesus here. It's very powerful. There's something about the idea that Jesus is ready to accept anything that we have to offer him. Jesus is actually ready and waiting for us to bring anything to the cross. Because of what he did on the cross, he has done the work for us. And we can take anything at all. We can take the bitterness, that desire for revenge, and take it to the cross and allow him to do that work inside us, to find that freedom. But in order to do that, you need to bring the real you to Jesus. You need to be open. You need to tell him all of it. Because when you bring the real you, not the phony you, not the churchy you, not the, you know, image that we present to everybody else, but when you bring the real you He can transform your life. The brothers weren't doing that and Joseph wept as a result. God's desire is that every person would come to know him and accept that free gift of grace that rescues us from our sin, from what is hiding on the very inside of our soul. Bring it to God so that he can make that Lift that load. Wipe that slate. And then Joseph says in his response, he says, he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't he lovely? He has seen their need and he's going, guys, don't worry. 
It's going to be okay. I will provide for you and your little ones. And then he's comforted them and spoken kindly. Despite everything, Joseph just throws love at his brothers. Joseph's, Joseph's response is to replace their doubt and guilt with love, compassion and kindness. So then we come to the next part of our story. And this is really, you, you could kind of miss a lot in this next part of this passage. But between Genesis 50, 21 and 22, there's now 50 years have gone past. So just Fast forward 50 years and it says, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machai, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. How beautiful is that? What a beautiful image of family, of flourishing. I reckon he would have been a fantastic grandfather. Just think of all those stories that he had. He had a lot of stories and he also, I think, when they had babies down the generations, they have brought their babies to him and he has blessed each of the babies. I love the idea of blessing. Blessing our children is a beautiful, beautiful gift. It allows them to see how God sees them and their purpose for him. If you want to know more about blessings, come and have a chat with me after the service. I can show you what, what it involves and help you with that. So, Joseph spends the rest of his life just being, being a grandpa, being the prime minister, and God has been faithful. And then it goes on to say in verse 24, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. All of his life, since he was a teenager, Joseph had lived in Egypt but he knows that that's not where he belongs. And I love this passage because he is saying, my heart is not here. I am not an Egyptian. I do not want that for me. So he's holding on to that promise that he had heard back in Genesis 15, 13 to 14. He knows this. This is the information he knows. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterwards, they will come out with many possessions. I don't know how many of the brothers were still alive, gathered around Joseph at that time. It doesn't say. But you can just imagine they're all gathered there around him and just over there they see all the pyramids. Joseph had been a prime minister. He, he could have had the most spectacular burial in Egypt and been put in the pyramids. But instead, Joseph chooses 
to say, no, I don't belong here. This isn't our homeland. He had very specific instructions to leave the coffin above the ground so that everybody could see it. And so this is his dying words. He's trusting that he had confidence in God's plan. There's, uh, this is the one event that the writer of Hebrew refers to in the whole of Joseph's story. Isn't that fascinating? In Hebrews 11.22, it, said, it says, By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. And then going back to our passage, it says, So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in the coffin in Egypt. Joseph is saying here, if my coffin can proclaim God's promises, let it proclaim God's promises. He, I could just imagine children coming up, kind of talking, going past that coffin, which was above ground. And, you know, they'd been there for a couple of hundred years and kids are going, hey, why, why is there a coffin there? Like, what's, what's that all about? And their parents are going, oh, no, that's Joseph. And they're going, well, why isn't he buried in one of the pyramids or, you know, one of the other? Why isn't he buried like everybody else? And the parents have said, no, no, Joseph's there because we don't belong here. This isn't where we belong. God has an amazing plan for us. There is hope for our future. We are going to take his bones one day and God is going to come and rescue us as a people. And he is going to take, we are going to take his bones back to the promised land. Isn't that awesome? I just love how God can take something that is practical and it can be a physical reminder to us of his, the hope and the faith that we can put into God for the future. Trusting in him for the future because of something that has gone on in the past. Joseph knew the story that they would be captive in a place one day and he's gone, oh, this is probably it. This is it. We're not in our own land. And he has taken that and he said, okay, well, I don't want to be stuck here. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the promised land. And God uses that. I just love that idea that we could do that ourselves. What is it in your story? What is, what is, where did God show you incredible provision? When you think of the hope of God, when you think about how you know you can trust him, what is it in your story that you hang on to? I encourage you to remember it, to remind yourself of God's faithfulness. And this is what I love. In Exodus 13, 19. So we're talking about they are about to leave Egypt. They've been captive there. After Joseph, they've been captive there. They've been enslaved. They've gone through terrible, terrible hardship. And 400 years have gone past and it says in 1319, when they're about to leave 
Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. 400 years later, and here's Moses. They're all ready to leave Egypt. I spoke before about how moving can be hard work. They had to gather everything. And then before they left Egypt, uh, they actually gave them all of this silver and gold. They were loaded up. And then someone's gone, hey, don't forget those bones. We're going to take those bones. Remember that? Moses remembered it. He knew the oath that they had made years and years ago. And so they have taken those bones because it said, when the Lord leads you out of Egypt, take my bones. We have this promise for our future and we see it fulfilled in Joshua 24:32, where it says, now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the son of, sons of Israel brought up from Egypt. I like to finish Joseph's story there. I don't think it actually finishes at the end of Genesis 50. I think it finishes when he has, even his coffin had brought hope to the people living in Egypt for hundreds of years. These chapters that we've been studying, they just show so much the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness not only to Joseph, but his people. I think it's also tonight shown us how we can be uh, released. We can be, be released from guilt, from shame. We can be forgiven and we can be released from wanting vengeance. That is my hope tonight, that we would just humbly come before God and give him those things, bring those things to the cross. Why don't you pray with me? Lord God, I just thank you so much for the story of Joseph. I thank you, God, that we can see so much of your faithfulness in it. I thank you, Lord, that it gives us this incredible perspective. Lord, I just want to pray that you would be with us and you would guide us as followers of you. I pray, God, that we know that we are able to come and bring whatever we need to to the foot of the cross. We can just hand over to you whatever it is that we are carrying and you can do the work in us, Lord. I pray that we would do that so that we would be able to find the freedom, the kind of freedom that Joseph had so that he was able to flourish for decades as he lent on you and your promises to him. Lord God, I just also pray that we would be reminded of the times in our life that you have been just so faithful that we could hold on to those times, be reminded of them again and again and again, and that we would even tell the next generation about those times as well. Lord, I, I know that this isn't our final destination here either. Lord, I pray that we would have a heavenly perspective as we live out our faith. So God, I just pray a blessing on us all tonight. I pray that you would go with us 
I pray that uh, we would truly know you in whatever we face in the coming week. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you so